Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your design business? Then welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social, helping home professionals accelerate their success with proven industry practices and expert advice. Hey there, and welcome to Design by Wingnut Social. I'm your host, interior decorator, Darla Powell. Thank you so much to Susan and Paul Cadillac for guest hosting the last two episodes while I was out with some personal medical uh, things. Nothing nothing serious, just uh, a little bit uh, inconvenient <laughs> and, uh, you know, just a, kind of a pain in the literally because I had a colonoscopy. Um, plus, I had some work on my teeth that didn't quite go as well as I thought it would. But So thank you. Thank you guys so much for pitching in. You guys are amazing, right? Not only a great podcast guest, but great podcast hosts. So we got lucky there. Thank you so much to uh, Susan and Paul Cadillac again and to my team for covering for me for the, those couple of weeks. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, today's guest, Tara Newman of the Bold Leadership Revolution, has uh, a lot of paradigm ahas. If you're a business owner, small business owner, you might be surprised uh, by some of the um, the thoughts she has here. And it's definitely going to help you make a uh, impact your bottom line, I should say. So you're going to want to stay tuned to this conversation. It's it's um, organic conversation, and there's tidbits throughout. And you can always head on over to wingnutsocial.com to get check out the show notes for this episode because there's a, a lot of resources mentioned here. So you're going to want to head on over to there to check out Tara Newman's episode. Let me tell you a little bit about Tara. Tara Newman is the founder and CEO of the Bold Profit Academy, where she teaches service-based business owners, that's us folks, on how to sell premium services and programs, again, us as interior designers, right, without the emotional stress of launching, worrying about ads, or overwhelming social strategies. We handle social strategies for you. Don't worry about that, Tara. Or complex funnels. Tara hosts a weekly podcast called The Bold Money Revolution and has been featured in publications like Money Magazine, nice, 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 Yahoo Finance, and The Huffington Post, as well as other publications and esteemed podcasts like this one. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Tara Newman to the show. Hey there, Tara Newman. Welcome to Designed by Wingnut Social. How the hell are you? Hey, Darla. I am so excited to be here with you this morning. I can't wait to dive into this conversation. I am so excited to have this conversation with you as well. I've been on a two-week hiatus, so it's good to get back into the podcast chair. And um, we were talking in the green room, and I was like, hello, Newman. <laughs> 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 My and producer's if, too young. She didn't get it. I was so. going to say, you have to be like a Gen Xer to under, or above to understand that <laughs> reference. So, Should, should we put uh, the younger, younger audience listeners out of their misery and tell them what that is? High five to my Gen X crowd. Yeah, they're me. Yippee. <laughs> Virtual high five. That's from Seinfeld, of course. Um, if you haven't watched it, go back and watch it. Even if you're not a Gen Xer, it's, it's well worth it. So, um, Terry, there's, I was uh, researching you for the show, of course, and there's some super uh, impressive stats. First of all, you're a profit first coach, which I love. I love that whole modality, methodology. We had Mike Michalowicz on the show, super huge fan, and a lot of our interior designers are implementing that philosophy. If you guys did not hear Mike Michalowicz's episode, you can head on over to wingnutsocial.com and uh, check out the podcast backlog. He's, he's, how good is he? He's so brilliant. Um, so today we're talking about money, 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 money. And it's a it's a topic that a lot of people don't even want to look at. Sometimes we bury our heads in the sands, but you, you sands, <laughs> but you have a, uh, a wealth of information that is going to help our audience today. So um, let's dig in. Are you game? I'm 100% game. Always game to talk about money. 
I know you had that English muffin feeling you, so we're good to go. <laughs> so <laughs> when in the guest intake, you you put down something that really sparked my curiosity, and I kind of want to start with this rather than some of the questions that I had uh, anticipated asking. But you had said that um, we, as business owners, women in particular, I'm imagining, should strive for $250,000 years instead of $10,000 months. And while the math kind of makes sense, like, la duh, uh, I'm like, why why are we focusing on the years more than the months? Because I, for myself, am going month to month to month. I need this income this month, success. Next month, go. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily about the years versus the months. But if we okay. do, but I do want to talk about the math. Sure. And I think, by the way, first off, before we even get started, back up for a sec. Um, thank you so much for being a support for Profit First. Oh, okay. You're and, and being it's a fan my pleasure. for getting that out in the world and having Mike on. And I know you work with somebody else in the program. And uh, I think it's really important for business owners. So we, me, on behalf of Profit First, appreciate that. So 250000 a year is what allows you to pay yourself $10,000 a month. Oh, okay. So that is really what I wanted to, and so it, it's not necessarily a factor of should we be looking at things on an annual basis or a year or a monthly basis. And I do have perspective on that. However, the point of this is that so many business owners, I work with female established experts running service-based businesses. So I always like to clarify like who I'm talking to. That's me. Yeah, just so we don't, you know, so we don't pick up the wrong bias or whatever. Okay. And one of the big moments for women who are experts at what they do, but not necessarily experts at the time they start their business at business, what happens is, is they go, okay, I need to replace my traditional salary from my my job, and usually that's fairly significant. Um a lot of women are making six figures in a traditional in a traditional job and they might say okay i'm going to pay myself 100 i want to pay myself $100,000 a year so i'm going to hit 10k months and it's a very rude awakening the day someone realizes and this might be your day if you're listening to this that $100,000 in revenue does not equal $100,000 in what you're going to pay yourself i see that there are other factors that need to happen. And if you want to be paying yourself $100,000, which is why I think that number often is appealing to people, you actually have to have business revenue in excess of $200,000 a year. And when we look at the statistics, specifically a study done by Amex on small um, women's small business ownership, it was done back in 2018. It hasn't changed much. It might even be worse. Only 12% uh, of women-owned businesses were making more than $100,000 a year in revenue. That means 88% of women-owned businesses were under $100,000 in revenue. Wow. Did they give like a, a statistic on the tenure of the business, like how long they've been in business? I'm just curious. Is, is that... So it, that was their mm -hmm. overall... Big summary okay. of all the businesses that they surveyed. Wow, that's sobering. It that is really sobering. Is. Yeah. And I can tell you anecdotally, it's true. Okay. Only 1% of the businesses surveyed were a million dollar business or more. So is that a multiplier? Like two and a half times 
you know, what you want to be paying yourself should be the revenue. If you want to pay yourself $100,000 a year, is that a formula? Or how did we come to the two hundred fifty four, dollars the $100,000 a year salary? What I affectionately call profit first math. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so No surprise there. Yeah. So what I call profit first math. And that's why, you know, if profit first is for nothing else, it's just such a great lens to put on your business. And to create a frame of reference and a framework to look through. So if you're running a business and it's bringing in $250,000 or less in revenue, Mm -hmm. in theory, in profit first theory, you should be able to pay yourself 50% of that revenue. I see. Okay. Right? So if you have a business that's $100,000, you know, where you know, $100,000 in revenue, you're maybe paying yourself $50,000. And I know, unfortunately, most women aren't even paying themselves that much. That's true. It took me quite a while um, to pay myself for my businesses. And even now, sometimes as I scale, and because, and I want to get into this with you, because we're service-based business. It's not, we're not selling SaaS, software as a service, you know, that you have to hire employees to fulfill these services. And even now, as I scale and grow the team with more demand for people needing digital marketing, um, I might pull back my salary just to cover, because we have to train in advance of the service, right? Thank you for bringing that up transparently, because I think business owners see themselves as doing it wrong if they have to do something like that. And I don't really want that to be like, I don't want this to be about what's good or bad, right or wrong. We all make these individual um, decisions for ourselves. And that decision is a very real decision that Mm -hmm. people make. And and I think that we want to, you know, having these honest and transparent conversations is what's most important. And I think, I think it's sometimes um, not, you don't, want this to be the norm, right? You don't want it to be ongoing. Of course, I couldn't live that way. Um, But I think sometimes it can be necessary, right? Especially as you're expanding and you're growing, Um, there there might be like some acute points of time to where you do make that sacrifice and maybe not. Um, But I've I've done that from time to time just because of the nature of the service-based business, which leads me to my question. (laughs) When you are scaling and you're expanding, um, with hiring employees, how do you keep that scale consistent on track to keep paying yourself the profit first math formula? Do you know what I'm saying? Is that too convoluted of a question? Or no, not at, not okay. at all. So my background is in operational efficiency. Okay. Um, which is why I'm really attracted to the profit first model is they kind of really go hand in hand and, you know, Mike's an ops guy and I'm an ops person. So I really appreciate his methodology. I think the first thing we need to consider as we scale is um, complex businesses don't scale. Simplicity is what scales. So at all times as business owners, if we can get into a habit of looking and debriefing our business through the perspective of how can I simplify? And I know that sounds nebulous, so I want to make it concrete. So I ask myself a couple of questions on a weekly basis. What can I delete? What isn't adding any value to my customer experience? If it's not adding value to the customer, it's not adding value to me in the long run. Hmm. Okay. What can I automate? We have some really good technology out there and some real simple tools that are allowing businesses to automate more and more every day. And still maintain a high-touch business because I don't want to – I'm not a robot. 
I love automating so I can focus on key high touch elements, those things that might not scale. So, right. so what can I be automating? Can this be done better through automation, through a tool that I already have? So really understanding the functionality of the systems I'm already using. Then what can be delegated, right? So after we delete, after we automate, then we start to delegate. And why that's so important is we don't want to be paying somebody to be doing something that could be deleted or automated. Good point. Yeah. And, and I find that a lot of people don't understand their operation well enough and they just start to hire because they feel overwhelmed instead of stopping and checking in on, okay, how can we first reduce the overwhelm? Not necessarily through adding a person. Is there better boundaries that we can be creating in the business? Um, is there some clarity that we can have around our process? Right. So there's all those kind of practical things before we scale. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it gets too complicated to manage and it becomes too costly to manage. And then mm -hmm. the second thing around scaling and the whole the whole concept of scaling is to be able to add revenue with not adding equal amounts of expense. Right, exactly. And that is very difficult to do when you need human-based life forms, especially, um, you know, carbon-based life forms. In interior design business, you have to, if you want to scale, I can see automating emails and automating you know, some parts of that. But when it comes to actual designing space, you need those artisans. You need those people who know how to design. You need junior designers and real um, living, breathing, carbon-based life forms. So I think um, where I'm struggling to picture thing is is automating and simplifying a very complex very complex business model which is the interior design industry and also on a personal level the the digital marketing agency it's it's kind of i can see deleting some stuff for sure in the on both and in both industries and automating some of the stuff but when it comes down to hiring and scaling for payroll uh, help me out help me understand that because i'm struggling a bit there sure so I think the other part of this is really understanding what your customers value, why they buy, mm -hmm. what's that buyer psychology, what, is they, what are they really looking for? Because I do sometimes think we tend to be in love with our delivery and what we offer, and we need to look at it through the lens of our buyer and what is it that they really want, right? And okay. if, we can, if we can streamline the components around the human components we have more dollars and more budget for the human components. That's kind of how I would look at it. Secondly, around the math of it, in Profit First, we have a saying, um, I think Mike mentioned it probably on your po podcast as well, when in doubt, open an account. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did, actually. <laughs> yeah, when in doubt, open an account, right? And so for me, with anything to do with money, time horizon is your best friend. So if you can give it all, we can do anything as long as we have a timeline. So if you're like, I need to hire someone tomorrow, that's going to definitely put a burden on the system and we're going to have to get creative with how that's going to happen. But if you're, you know, looking and reviewing your strategy on a regular basis, if you're having kind of what I call weekly CEO debriefs and you're picking up on these things ahead of time, it can be very easy to plan for it by opening an account and putting that money aside over a period of time 
to give you the time to actually plan to bring the hire on. Mm. And then you have a budget of dollars there when you have them come on and you know that you've been able to like, oh, I can afford X amount a month because I've been putting it away already in this separate account. So how much of what you're charging for your services, right? And making sure that you're making that profit margin goes into this. And how can we deconstruct that? And to make sure that we're charging enough to maybe $250,000 a year isn't enough to pay yourself $100,000 a year with your business model, or is that a hard ratio? <laughs> I'm trying, still trying to wake up here. Does that make sense? Does a, any of it that does make sense? make sense. It does okay. make sense. Um, <laughs> and so what, what I've actually done is I've created a revenue goal calculator. And what that allows you to do, so what I want everybody to, and you got, you talked about something really important, which I'm going to touch on in a minute, but, but (laughs) I created this revenue goal calculator because what's happening is, is that pretty much anybody doing business these days opens an app and they turn to social media for business education and they see people who are talking about eight figure businesses, seven figure businesses, seven figure months, 10K months, right? Like there's all these mm-hmm. numbers being thrown around like on a whole. But what is your number? We all have our own magic number that we need to hit based on our personal financial goals, on our personal financial situation. You might be a single individual. I'm someone who has a financial partner. Like that looks very different for everyone. You might be retired and have and have a pension coming in. Um, you might not have that. You know, there's so many different variables for each of us. So I created a revenue goal calculator that allows you to reverse engineer your particular needs. Where That's you put- what I was trying to think of. Reverse engineer. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm on it. I'm on I got your back, Darla. <laughs> I appreciate it. There's not enough green tea right now to wake me up. Here. Got you. So, <laughs> so what it does is it, and not many people understand how interconnected our personal finances and our business finances are. And it's really a balancing act. Because if you're living above your means personally, you're going to need your business to do a lot more heavy lifting for you that it may or may not be able to do at the stage of business you're in. And if you're not paying yourself enough from your business, it's going to throw your personal finances into disarray because you're not going to be able to make ends meet, right? And and that's just the reality of business ownership. I always say... um, we have to understand that we're first a commission salesperson, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so this revenue goal calculator, you put in your personal financial needs, and then it will calculate for you what revenue goal you need to hit to make that money to pay yourself. And it's going to break it down and it's going to say, okay, if you need to make this amount of money, this is how much revenue you're going to need to bring in. This is how much money you're going to have for expenses. This is how nice. much money you're going to have for your taxes. And this is how much money you're going to have for, for, for profit. And it kind of gives you a framework, right? It's not perfect, but it's a frame. And what I mm-hmm. like to say about profit first is I'm a little loosier, goosier than maybe Mike would be. Profit first is a framework for making decisions, in my opinion. You can always decide to change those numbers and make them what they need to be for you. So if you are someone who your lifestyle is costing you $100,000 a year 
and you have a partner, or you have some other means of income coming in, and you only need to pay yourself $50,000 a year, right. you can intentionally, with the knowledge, make a choice to rework your profit first numbers for a period of time. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Right. But what's happening is, is that people are making these decisions in absence of the data. I see. So where, where does one go to, to get a hold of the, your revenue goal calculator? Because that sounds, I can just see everybody in the audience rushing over to that right now. Absolutely. It is at the bold leadership com forward slash revenue. I will, okay. I will add that for your folks, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, there is a little, there could be a little added caveat to that in the sense if they have designers who are designing for them mm -hmm. as contractors on their team, we would be looking at their revenue slightly differently because that's okay. the difference between total revenue and real revenue. So for businesses that have a lot of subcontractors, construction businesses, even real estate agents where they have see. Okay. Uh, real estate brokers where they have agents coming in, mm -hmm. you would have all the money coming into your business and then you would subtra subtract from your total revenue the contractor pay and then you would get your real revenue and then you would calculate those numbers after that. But this is a really good guide and I do offer a free 15-minute session. <laughs> Yay. With no, there's nothing for sale. It's just like, let me help you with your numbers because we're going to touch on Darla's point that she made before that I want to circle back to. So this call is really to look at the bottleneck. Why aren't you maybe um, able to pay yourself what you need to pay yourself? Like, how do we get you to that revenue? What's that bottleneck for you getting to that revenue amount? And it is usually price. Yeah. That, that I tell you a, a personal story. Um, that was not even a personal story. I guess it's a business story and a personal story. But I wasn't charging enough when I started the agency in the beginning, and I wasn't paying myself at all. And I was really scared to charge myself what we were worth and what we were putting forward with the expertise, and um, like terrified, terrified to do it. And worked with a few business coaches in in the industry, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, Darla, you are way undercharging for the work that you're putting out, for the results that you're getting your clients." And um, when I finally stepped up, just like I did in the interior design business, when I started charging what I was worth there, I started getting more ideal clients, better results. The business uh, did better. Same thing for the agency. When we started charging what we were worth for the work output they were putting out there, and it, the actual uh, reverse happened. <laughs> Nothing fell apart. We got better clients, uh, better results for clients, a, a much better business overall, healthier business. So um, if you're scared of raising your prices, uh, don't. Because there's only so much you can do with formulas and numbers and profit first if you're, <laughs> if you're not getting the, what you're worth coming in, right? And you're charging for a client. I'm not saying gouge people, right? But you, you need to make a living. The business has to be successful. And um, you don't want to sell yourself short. I'm, I'm kind of monologuing here. But uh, what, what's your take on that? Let's talk about it. Yeah. So 100% true. And I also want to say that I'm always, I'm here too, right? Like, I'm, mm -hmm. this is just a struggle for business owners around charging and valuing their work appropriately. Right. And it's a couple yeah. of things it's valuing your work, being able to see your work through the lens of who's buying, it's being able to consider all the aspects that go into that work and the result that gets delivered and how that how you've improved your client's ex existence life business 
home, whatever, mm-hmm. from from that perspective, that goes so far beyond what you're, you know, what you're actually thinking your service is worth. Right. You know, and I can tie anything back to a dollar amount. I can tie anything back to money, even if you're in a business where you're like, well, that's, I don't help people make money. I'm like, no, 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 you do. You help them, you you save them money, you save them time, mm-hmm. you save them yep. energy, and that can be translated into a dollar amount. Yeah, and that's all applicable for interior designers, all of it, every bit of it. It is really scary. And what Darla said is 100% true, is that you're actually just going to wind up calling in a better fit client. Mm-hmm. You're going to be calling in your highest and best service and delivery and customer experience because you're going to have the space. You don't need to um, have as many leads. It solves some sales problems. You don't need as many leads. You don't need as much marketing effort to like get all the leads in. Yep. You know, when you're selling something that's more volume based for because it's a lower dollar amount, right? There's like that sweet spot between how much you're charging and the and how much you need to to sell and to be honest that also impacts how m- much team you need yeah for, yeah it does for sure because if you're selling a lower dollar product and you need to move more units of that whether it's an actual product yeah. or a service you're going to need more people to move that service or product mm-hmm. than you would if you slowed it down and you you raised the the price absolutely it's better to have 20 uh, clients who are paying you what you're worth and 50 clients who are not paying you what you're worth because you're going to have to hire twice as many people. Exactly. It can be a whole show yeah. for that. So, And if you're out there and you're an interior designer listening and you're like, I'm juggling 10 projects or I'm ju- ju- juggling 20 projects and you're not quite sure what you should be charging, think about it. Go over your client roster and say, what if I was charging them this much an hour versus, you know, what I, you know, what, how would that impact my bottom line? Well, how would that affect my hiring? And, um, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be a huge increase. It could be five, 10% in, you know, increase across the line. You're not going to push those same clients away. And it's just, you could be leaving a lot of money on the table. So can I piggyback on some, on that, Darla? Absolutely, please. Mm-hmm. So what I want everybody to do, so something that like Darla and I are talking about, like this is, it's hard, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of emotions that come up with raising your price. I don't ever want to negate that. That is 100% true. I feel them all myself as well. Even <laughs> eight years into my business after raising my sure. price like a gazillion times, right? Yep. Um, but what I want to do is I like to do what I say, math over mindset. And mindset's 100% important. But if we do math, does it change your mindset? So here's what I want you to do. Suspend mm-hmm. the fear for a hot second. Suspend the, I can't do this. Nobody's going to buy. Who's going to buy? Whatever you got coming up for you. And do what Darla said. Take your, take your pricing and just bump it by 10%. Then bump yep. it by 20% then bump it by 30% and look at that number. So let's just say you're charging $2,000. Sure. And you bump it by 10%. That's $200. Usually what happens is people go, why am I sweating over $200? <laughs> yep. Right? And so that's why I say, like, let's do a little math over mindset sometimes and see if that kind of um, regulates the nervous system so you can step into that price increase. And then I always say, where we start is not where we finish. So bump it by 10%, sell a couple of packages, bump it again. Mm -hmm. And I think you'd be surprised. 
you, you'd be surprised at, uh, you, you know, maybe you might even have clients now that are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're so affordable. <laughs> then maybe they've talked to other interior designers and, you know, they were more expensive. And I, I think you might be surprised by doing that. There's something I call pricing purgatory. And that is when <laughs> you are too cheap for the people who are never going to buy. I mean, too expensive for the people yeah. who are never going to buy yeah. and too mm-hmm. cheap for the people yep. who want and value value, right? Yeah. And then you put yourself in pricing purgatory and it's a special kind of hell where business owners go to die and burn out <laughs> and get used up and be angry at everybody and not be able to pay themselves and they're over delivering and they're undercharging. So let's stay out of pricing purgatory as yeah. best that we can. Right. So that's one that's uh, kind of goes along with the mindset of being all things to all people too. And that purgatory, you're trying to like hit all the bases and hit that sweet spot of being all things to all people. And what you end up doing is you end up turning all, you know, most of people away. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as niching, you know, in your interior design business, if you want to niche in, into a specific uh, type of aesthetic or a certain price point, you're, if you're trying to price all things to all people, you're going to end up being in that purgatory for sure. If you've been listening to the show for a while, then you are probably aware that Wingnut Social is a digital marketing agency for the interior design industry. We do full service social media marketing, search engine optimization, and all of that good stuff. And we do a damn good job, if I do say so myself. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to Ann Gilliard of Grow Playrooms. I would so highly recommend Wingnut and here are several reasons why and not to mention just the followers that we gained which by the way was like 3,000 to 37,000 in a matter of months um, but they are responsive to every tiny little question that I have. They are so knowledgeable about everything that I might need knowledge about. And they've also taken away the fact that I need to know anything about it, which is probably the best part. Um, And, you know, they have taken over different aspects of Instagram for us from commenting, commenting to doing the DMs. And it's just decreased the amount of time that I've needed to be involved. And I know that it's in really good hands. Um, They also got our voice super fast. Um, So all in all, like just uh, treats to work with. And um, I would do it a thousand times over. Thank you so much, Anne. We have loved working with you and Grow Playrooms and everything that you're doing over there has been amazing and we appreciate you so much. So if you're interested in finding out more about our services here at Wingnut Social, give us a call at 786-206-4331 or hit that website up, wingnutsocial.com and click that little let's chat button and let's see how we can work together to take your business from meh to amazing. Well, Tara, there is another thing that you put on your intake that really intrigued me. And you said um, that you asked the question, do you need to have a million dollar business in order to be a millionaire? Talk to us about that. Mm -hmm. So this comes down to how you use the money that you're making in your business. Okay. And so we see a ton of messaging around million dollar businesses. And like, listen, if you want a million dollar business, totally have at it. I'm not sitting in judgment. My husband um, owns a business and, you know, he's in like that $3 million to $5 million category. I work with clients who have $60 million businesses. Sweet. I'm all for like, let's let's have the big number. 
Sure. So, however, here's who I'm talking to. I'm talking to women who have families, who have maybe aging parents, who have a lot on their plate, who feel, you know, stressed out about their business, we'll say 61% of the time, because that's what Gallup says in a recent um, study not too long ago, that 61% of female small business owners are experiencing daily stress and worry. Yeah. Maybe yeah, one of them. Yeah. And, and like, you know, Darla started this conversation saying like she left, she left being a detective sergeant because she was tired. She took early retirement. She was, yeah, she was done. Done so. She was like yeah. hooked. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so that's true for most women who start businesses. They're starting businesses out of necessity mm-hmm. and we don't talk about that. And so what I want to say is that one of the aspects and the boons of starting a business is this concept of financial security and stability. And women want to be generating and creating wealth for themselves and for others as well. And you can do that without having a million dollar business. What you need is not revenue. You need profit mm-hmm. and you Perfect. need cash flow and yeah. you need to be able to pay yourself so you can take the profit. Not and not reinvest it back in your business, but think like a shareholder and invest it into other cash generating assets. So maybe you want to take that profit out of your business and use it to invest in real estate, invest in dividends, invest in index funds, invest in some other way of earning income that compounds, continues to compound over time. That is Mm -hmm. what's going to make you a millionaire, not necessarily a million-dollar business. A million-dollar business, anywhere between like $1 to $5 million, is actually a very challenging revenue uh, arena to play in. Yeah. It's it's really – that growth can get costly Mm -hmm. at times, and which is why I also love that $250,000 number. For, for women, not because I'm trying to get people to play small. I've definitely been challenged on this. People are like, are like Tara, do you have a limiting mindset? I'm like, no, I, just, I have math. <laughs> I have math. Thanks. Not yeah. a limiting mindset. But like $250,000 isn't too much to manage. Mm-hmm. You don't need a ton of team. Right. You can pay yourself six figures and you can take that and you can put into your retirement and you can save some money for other investments you can use your profit towards other investments as well. And so mm-hmm. if you're a woman who is got just life lifing all around her. <laughs> life life. <laughs> right? Like yeah. there's actually a real sweet spot. And I don't mean to be anti-growth. I'm absolutely not. Um, I'm, but I mean like intentional growth, like questioning growth. Like wh- why do we want this for ourselves and for our businesses, right? Because I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to compare ourselves to other people. It's easy to start setting someone else's goal that's not our own. And it's not, it's also not forever. So what I really love about having that $250,000 kind of like frame and benchmark is that's usually the size business that will provide you with enough. And once you have enough and you know that you're able to pay yourself and you know you're able to meet your personal financial commitments and you're able to build in some consistency in your business, that's when we can start looking at more than enough. But it's hard to, what I see people doing is shooting for this more than enough without having enough. 
Uh, yeah, I, and I th- know that there are people out there who need to hear that. Um, there's there's this big. Um, oh, if I'm not doing, if I'm an interior designer and I'm only doing two fifty, or if I'm only doing five hundred thousand, you know, I'm I'm less than. But it could be that you are making more than those designers who are out there saying, "Oh, I just made, I just broke a million this year," um, it, just by doing it smartly. I really do appreciate uh, your take on that. It's super healthy. Yeah, and what I want you know for your interior designers to say to themselves like. Okay, so what's the easiest way I can get to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars? What's the least amount of projects? And that's a that's a pretty low barrier to entry in the interior design space because interior design is a luxury and it usually tends to be kind of pricey, especially if you're not in pricing purgatory. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. You can easily have jobs fifty thousand, a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Ab- absolutely. 100%. Tara, is there anything that I forgot to ask you? I know we just kind of went off into a conversation. I could talk about this forever. You've been an amazing guest so far. But is there anything that I forgot to ask you that you think the audience needs to hear before we get into the fire round? No, I think we did a great job covering things. I think we and, did too. And, and I think we landed the plane. <laughs> I don't think we got too off track and on tangent. I don't think you, I don't even think we lost a wheel. I think, <laughs> I think it was a very interesting conversation, even though I was half asleep. Sorry about that. Uh, yesterday was Halloween as we're recording this, and I may have had a little bit of a late night. Um, <laughs> all right. So now I have to ask you, Tara Newman, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Hashtag hello, Newman. <laughs> Well, we brought that full circle. You're stuck on a deserted island. You can have your one favorite food forever. What's it going to be? This was really hard, but dried mangoes. Uh, Well, there goes the scurvy part of that. (laughs) You're not going to get scurvy with dried mangoes. But like the sugary ones, not the They're delicious. Like the sweet ones, right? They are delicious. I'm just going to go to hell while I'm there. Last but not least, please recommend a book that has impacted you either personally or professionally. Okay. Aside from Profit First. Yeah. Um. Bittersweet by Su- Susan Cain um, is just knocking my socks off. It's an arresting read. It's all about emotional resiliency and just it goes deep into our obsession with posit- like toxic positivity. She doesn't call it that. She calls it the tyranny of positivity mm-hmm. and, you know, this frame of like unrelenting happiness that we tend to like hard tilt into without really experiencing the range of human emotions. So I am hooked at the moment. Okay. And that was Bittersweet by Susan Kane. I'll have to add that to my audible cue. Tara, please tell the listeners where they can go to find out more about you and we'll call it a day. Sure. There are two places. So if you want the revenue goal calculator, you can go to the boldleadershiprevolution.com forward slash revenue. And if you're looking for another podcast to binge on, I am the Bold Money Revolution podcast. All right, cool. I'm going to definitely go and check that out. You guys can head on over to wingnutsocial.com slash podcast. Check out this episode with Tara Newman and get all these links. Uh, it'll be the calculator, the podcast, everything you can find uh, about Tara there. Tara, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a, an amazing conversation. Thanks for having me, Darla. All right. What did I tell you? A wealth of knowledge there from Tara Newman. Um, a lot of really eye-opening financial information that you might not have uh, intuitively thought of, right? Uh, I'm sure that you're out there listening like, man, why do I want Why do I want this to be a million-dollar, two-million-dollar interior design firm? Maybe I'm at the point in my life where I just want to pay myself, be comfortable, and not have all that stress. Um, certainly, there's that hump that once you get over it, Right, which we discussed that it's it pays off in in spades when you're scaling, but maybe we you know, want to dig in and see why 
why we want to scale to that point. And if it's legit, then go for it. If it's if you're super comfortable where you are, then don't worry about it so much. I'm definitely going to download the revenue goal calculator or go over and check that out. Uh, again, wingnutsocial.com. Check out the show notes for that. That link is at theboldleadership.com slash revenue. If you just happen to uh, be on the fly and can remember that <laughs> and uh, just get a little framework there for uh, the profit calculator there and, and paying yourself. Um, so that is it for this week. Thank you, Tara, again, for that conversation and, and for the additional conversation we had after the show. I appreciate that. If you need help with marketing your interior design firm, your architect firm, then head on over to wingnetsocial.com. We specialize in all things digital marketing for the interior design genre, realm, what have you. You can chat with Shasta Ballard. She's our amazing sales manager and see how we can partner up to take your business from meh to amazing. Take it to that next level because digital marketing is not going away. Social media is not going away. Your ideal clients are looking for you. So get found by them. Wingnutsocial.com. All right. That's it for this week. Remember to get out there, get uncomfortable and be great. We'll see you next time. You've reached the end of this episode of Designed by Wingnut Social, but that's only the first step into accelerating your business the Wingnut way. Head over to wingnutsocial.com or call us at 786-206-4331 to see how we can help take your business from meh to amazing. We'll see you on the next episode of Designed by Wingnut Social, your digital marketing tightly fastened. Yeah, to be that's all in. applicable it's for interior designers. 100%. All, every bit of it. Okay, put that in the bloopers. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Okay, here we go. High energy. Jazz hands. Stand it. Hey. That announcer voice. You know, know, I always uh, hear sports announcers. I used to listen to this guy. His name was Neil Rogers. (laughs) <laughs> and he used to say, they sound like they're throwing up when they talk. I do some of it I, myself. I admit it. It was like, hey, hey, it's Sounds like you're throwing up. Hey, and welcome to Design by Wingnut Social. I am your esteemed host, Darla Powell. And today we are joined by Tara Newman. And I lost my train of thought. New teeth. <laughs> Good boy, Mango.